This morning from Genesis 21, verses 8 through 14. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is the word of God for the people of God. Some time back, I read an article in Time magazine. It was the cover story for that issue. It was talking about how siblings shape our identity and form and shape who we become. It talked about that for a long time, the only kind of sibling study social scientists were doing was looking at birth order. They found some interesting things about that, but in the last few years, they've been studying a whole host of things. They are concluding that who we become as adults is most strongly shaped by our siblings. What it points out is that our siblings are really our only lifetime partners. It points out that Our parents usually die 10, 20, 30 years before we do. Our spouses, whom we think of as lifetime partners, usually do not come into our lives until 20, 25, 30 years old. But our siblings, usually born fairly close to the same time that we are, live with us throughout our lives and therefore shape so much of who we become. talked about how when we're growing up that's where we learn whether or not you can trust someone and how you can tell how to negotiate differences how to deal with conflict how to develop intimacy they said that's where we begin to get a sense of ourselves from the ways our siblings deal with us and reflect back to us who we are siblings are so important in shaping our identity and the direction of our lives It also talks some about blended families. As there's a growing number of blended families within the United States, it talked about the difficulty often families have when two families are trying to come together. In our story from Genesis today, we have a severe example of the difficulty in blended families. Now, before we try to understand what this might mean for us, we would do well to remember that this story is written at a very different time 
in a very different culture than ours. Human relations were much more like dealing with property rights rather than human rights or equal rights of any kind. We can see that there is a clear hierarchy in the story today. Abraham is the person with the power over this family. Next is his wife, Sarah. And then under that is Hagar, the maid servant. The story is a part of a longer cycle of stories about Abraham, some of which we've looked at over the last couple of months where God promises Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a child and not only a single child, but in fact, Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. That His descendants are going to multiply, that they're going to multiply in such a way that he's going to be used by God and his offspring as a blessing to all the nations, to the whole world. They receive the promise, but the child never comes. Well, at least not for years. In the midst of all of that, Sarah begins to get antsy. She knows they need to have children. So a few chapters before where we read this morning, she suggests to Abraham, how about you take my maidservant, Hagar, as another wife and see if you cannot produce an heir with her. Abraham agrees to do so, and Abraham has a son by Hagar. Well, before very long, Sarah is upset, because in that culture, as a woman, to bear children is the thing that gives you status. And now the one that she thought she was above, her maidservant, is the one who has a son. And all of a sudden feelings well up inside of her and she begins to become distressed and she begins to despise Hagar but by the time we get to chapter 21 where we read today now Sarah too has had a son he's probably about three years old he's being weaned he's survived infancy it's time to celebrate and so they're having a party but this same kind of distress and bitterness that has been brewing in Sarah's heart comes out again when she sees her son playing with the older boy Ishmael Hagar's son and she cannot stand it and so she in a very direct way sensing this threat in terms of her inheritance and her place in culture and society and this family goes to Abraham we read about it in verse 10 and says this cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac so our topic today is how do you deal with problem people Sarah has some power and influence and her answer is get rid of them cast them out send them away oh it's a Bible story but I do not think it's a very Christian answer to our question how can we deal with problem people 
I think this is a story of Sarah's weakness. I think we're seeing Sarah at her worst here. All this summer, we're looking at scandals of Scripture, these stories that reveal the weaknesses of these biblical characters. And we're trying to examine them in such a way that we're able to reflect on our own weaknesses and perhaps learn some better ways to deal with those weaknesses that we all have, that we run into from time to time in our lives. We're also watching for how the Bible can give us some practical insight into how God would have us deal with our weaknesses when we run into them. So let's look at this text a little closer and see what we might learn that we can use in our own lives. There are four significant things I want us to look at before we finish today. First is that God is working for the good of both women. God does not choose a side. God is working for the good of Sarah and her child and for Hagar and her child. When Abraham come, becomes so distressed at Sarah's request, God comforts him and tells him, it's going to be okay. I'm taking care of her and her son as well. Abraham is assured by God and comforted and decides to go ahead and proceed with Sarah's request. But it's important for us to remember and to see when we're in conflict, it's so easy to think God's only on our side. But this story suggests that no, God is working for the good of all involved in the conflict. There's a further insight here in terms of faith and having faith in God, coming to know God better as we have a relationship with God, and learning to trust God even in times of conflict or difficulty. We see it in this story that God is working for the good of Sarah and Isaac, for Hagar and Ishmael. That God wants all of them, in addition to Abraham, to have faith, to understand what God is doing in their lives. That is the second insight for us, is that God wants us to believe and have faith. Just as God wanted all of these biblical characters to believe and have faith. The third and perhaps most important insight that's embedded in this story today is that God wants us to follow. God is leading these biblical characters and we can believe that God is leading and guiding us and God wants us to follow. I was remembering this week the first time I encountered a GPS, a global positioning system. You remember about 10 years ago when these became available in some fancy cars? I was on a trip with someone else, and they had one of these in their car. We were going to a destination neither of us had been to before. He had punched in the address, and sure enough, this little screen came alive on his dashboard, showed us a map, color map about where we should go and then begin to give us verbal instructions about when to turn next and which way to turn. I couldn't believe it. It was a rather long trip, though, and she kept giving us instructions, so we turned her voice off after a while, still watching the map, we thought. 
But believe it or not, even with a color map and voice instructions, we still got lost. But it's a good lesson to know that even though you have help, if you turn the button off, if you quit thinking about God, if you quit listening to God, if you ignore the instructions, or if you get so busy in other interactions that you're not listening, you can still get lost. We can believe and have faith in God, and we can still get lost. Well, that leads us to the fourth and final insight for today. To follow God, we need to spend time with God. To follow God, we need to spend time with God. Last week, we talked about spiritual highs, and why don't spiritual highs last? I suggested to you that they come when we spend some time. I suggested usually it's time away in some kind of retreat or camp setting with other people that lift us up. But then when we come back and get into our regular schedules, that that time that we had been using to focus and Focus on God and listen to God begins to be eroded and the spiritual high begins to evaporate. The principle is the same here. To follow God, we have to spend time with God. To hear God's guidance and instructions, to sense God's prompting and leading, we have to spend time tuned into God. And when we don't, we have a problem. So we have to think about how do we order our lives and have we ordered them in such a way that we really do have time set aside to listen to God, to pay attention to where God might be leading us or what God might be saying to us. Well, the question in the title this morning is how can we deal with problem people? How can we deal with problem people? We can choose, like Sarah, to deal harshly with them. And often that's what I see people doing when they find themselves in a conflict, that they decide they're going to attack. They decide they're going to tear down the enemy or the opposition. But this story gives us a different model for that. If we look at how God responded when there was conflict in this family. We find that God was working for the good of all. God was at work for the good of all the people involved in the conflict. So when you think about your plan for conflict, it might be important to think about do you react like Sarah and act harshly? And try to get rid or dispose of or destroy the other? Or can you take the lead from God and begin to think about how can I contribute goodness into this situation? How can I work for good, not only from my perspective, but from the perspective of the other as well? You might remember when Jesus was teaching his disciples as recorded in Matthew's gospel in the fifth chapter, this long sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
he has some very interesting things to say in chapter 5 and verses 43 through 45 that I think will help us. Jesus is speaking and says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus gives us a command here in terms of dealing with others that we see as opposition or enemy. It is a twin command to love and to pray. To love and pray. They go together. Jesus seems to be suggesting that in fact we cannot love our enemies without prayer. That we cannot love our enemies without the power of God's Holy Spirit streaming through us, transforming our hearts in such a way that we can actually love our enemies. Jesus says this is what makes his followers different, is that they're able to do this. He says, oh, it's easy to love those who are nice to you or be nice to those who are nice to you. The challenge is to love those who do not love you, who do not treat you well, who do not seem to be your friend. How can we deal with problem people? Jesus says we can love them and pray for them. A final story that I read not too long ago was at a about a church in California. They started, as most churches do, as a small group and grew to a few hundred. And then before very many years passed, they'd grown to a few thousand. They were still meeting in a high school. They didn't even have a building. They decided it was time to buy some property and build a building. So they went and found some prime real estate on the corner of a neighborhood. They announced with great fanfare and excitement that they were ready to build this building only to show up one Sunday morning and find a whole group of people who were there who didn't think that was a good idea. It was residents from the community. A group of residents had gathered to protest the building. They didn't want this big church coming to their neighborhood. The congregation, the pastor said, they were shocked when they came in. He could tell that they were really struggling with what they had experienced on the way into the building. He said it finally struck him, and he stood up and said, how are we supposed to deal with our enemies? They looked at this passage. Oh, we're supposed to love them and pray for them. He said it became obvious what we were to do, and we gathered all the refreshments we had for ourselves that morning and took them out to the protesters. We greeted them with warmth and love and hospitality, said if they would give us some of their materials, we'd put it in our bulletin. What a witness. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be those kind of people. When we run into times of conflict and opposition, when we run into people that we think, oh, they're a problem, rather than being like Sarah, let's take God's lead and Jesus' instruction and love and pray for them. To get started with that this morning, I've put a prayer in your outline, in your bulletin. I've asked Susan to play a few moments of meditative music so that we might take a step 
in the direction of love and prayer. Let us pray.